Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Welcome to the throne room. <laughs> or my evil lair, as they say. Hey, I want to welcome you to Liquid. If you're new, we need to welcome. We got people in New Brunswick, Nutley, and Mountainside. They're joining us. Give them a big hand. Welcome, Church Online, if you're watching on the radio, TV, all that kind of good stuff. Um, This is a new series, Thrones, and I hope you like our throne room. I kind of feel like I'm on the set of the Hunger Games uh, here, or an Episcopal church. Depends uh, how you want to pick that. Uh, but if you think about thrones, you kind of all know what a throne represents. Who sits in a throne traditionally? A king. Yeah, this is the seat of a king. And typically, the throne represents his power and authority, right? Really, that's what a throne is. And if you look at our thrones, you'll see they have these carved lion's head. And in the ancient Near East, Old Testament Bible times, that's what a throne represented, the authority of the king. And the reality is that's what this series is about. It's about how we handle authority in our lives. Because here's what I know about you. All of us in this room, you're watching, all of us wield authority over people in some realm in our life. You may say, well, I have no authority. Maybe you're a parent at home, you're the authority over your kids, or you're a boss at work and you lead teams and you have authority over them, or you're a leader in our church. How we handle authority and power is actually very important to God. I also know that everyone in this room is under some kind of authority. At work, you probably have a boss, right? Somebody signs your check or they're your report. You got to report to them. Uh, at home, maybe you're under the authority, right, of, of your parents. At church, sometimes we say, well, you're under the spiritual authority of a pastor or a team leader. Hopefully, that's been a positive experience for you. But the reality, it isn't for everybody because each week, I meet with people who have stories of heartache, people who feel betrayed by other Christians, or bullied at work by people who have power over them. And so this series, we're going to ask a very, very pointed question. What do you do when a person who sits on a throne in your life, who has authority over you, gets very threatened by you, and actually points a spear at you, chucks a spear, or attacks, or intimidates you? What do you do when someone you love betrays you, or somebody who a brother and sister of Christ even, someone you thought you could trust, stabs you in the back and really hurts you. Right now on television, there is a series on HBO called Game of Thrones about the battle between several families to reclaim the authority of the Iron Throne. And it has all those kind of elements of a palace intrigue. It's got loyalty and betrayal, courage and corruption. But this series is not based on HBO, but in the Bible. There are a real life story that exists in the Old Testament about two kings, a kingdom that was divided into two. A real throne was up for grabs. And it is a story of King Saul and King David, who squared off in one of the ugliest battles in the Bible. Their story is told in 1 Samuel. We're going to camp out there. This is a historical book in the Old Testament, from which we'll take our our lessons. And though this story is really set in the ancient past 3,000 years ago, my hope is that you're going to see your own situation at work, at home, at school, wherever it is, through the light of God's word. Because although times change, God's word stays the same. Amen? I believe God's spirit will speak to some of the situations you may be facing right now at work or at church or even at home. How do you handle conflict with another believer? What do you do when a relationship with somebody you trust 
turns toxic when a spouse rejects you or a business partner treats you like a rival, a threat to their power. That's the tension between King Saul and King David. So you can open your Bible to 1 Samuel, but before we dive into this, I want to give you a little background about these two kings, because on the right, I'm going to talk about King Saul, and Saul was 30 years old when he first came to power. He sat on the throne of Israel for 42 years. And at first, Saul was actually a very good king. He was anointed. He was filled with the Spirit of God. He led boldly. He sacrificed for his people. He defeated thousands of enemies. And that was the problem. Saul was successful. Are you successful? He conquered his enemies and his power grew. And the problem was as his power grew, so did his pride. In 1 Samuel 15, here's what the Lord says about Saul. It says, I regret that I've made Saul king because he's what? He has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. In other words, King Saul had a problem. He was insecure as a leader and he made very rash choices in 1 Samuel. He disobeyed God's commands. He makes a series of compromises. He tries to take the credit for the deeds of others. And when Saul perceived a threat to his throne, he was very quick to grab a spear and go on the offensive. Saul actually murdered 85 campus pastors. No, priests. Priest in the Old Testament. Sorry, that's my, my fantasy. And he even, <laughs> he even consulted with a witch. And as a result, God rejected his leadership. The prophet told uh, Samuel, as the prophet at the time, and he said this. He said, you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has what? He has rejected you as king over Israel. In other words, because Saul failed to obey God's command, his throne, his earthly authority was stripped away. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to you, one of your neighbors, to one what? To one better than you. Enter David, the humble shepherd boy who the scripture describes as a man after God's own heart. Now, David was an unlikely replacement for Saul. He was the youngest of seven brothers. He was the runt of the litter. His brothers were actually serving in Saul's army at the time. David was just in the sheep pen. And Samuel pulls him out of the sheep pen. And the Lord told Samuel, watch these words, what? Anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord, what? Came powerfully upon David. Have you ever seen somebody anointed with oil? In the Old Testament, prophets anointed every king of Israel before he took the throne, he anointed him with oil. After Saul's disobedience, God commands his prophet Samuel to find a new king.
I anoint you, David of Bethlehem, to be the next king of Israel. Once Saul is dead, That's how you anointed a king. An anointing oil symbolized holiness. It was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Of God saying, David, I am choosing you and setting you apart for special service to me and to lead my people. And every king who sat on the throne of Israel was anointed with oil. Actually, Saul had been anointed at once, but his disobedience disqualified him. And now David is destined to become Israel's new leader. That's the Lord's promise, that the throne would be David's one day. But that seemed crazy. How do you go from the sheep pen, you're working in the mailroom, <laughs> to the palace, to the corner office? But that's what the Lord said. How's David going to get there? At the time, Saul's army was at war with the Philistines. You may remember this. They had a champion named Goliath, about nine feet tall, who was mocking the Israelites. And Saul and his troops were paralyzed. But David was delivering supplies to his brothers on the front line that day. But all those years working in the mailroom, out in the hills, protecting his sheep, David learned a thing or two, didn't he, about slingshots. He killed lions and bears to protect his flock. And so when he heard Goliath mocking his God, David was outraged. And that's when he stepped from the shadows and into history. Will one of you fight me? Testament is PG-13. I just want to acknowledge that, parents. Blame me. You blame the Old Testament. As David held Goliath's head in victory, Israel's army cheered, and God's new leader stepped from the shadows into history. That's where we pick up our story right now, in 1 Samuel 18. So you can turn there. I want to give you a little bit of backstory, because you must understand at this moment 
This is a kingdom in transition. It's caught between two thrones, right? Saul is still on the throne, but David is destined to take his place. But what's interesting is because David respects authority, he actually submits to Saul, joins his army, and even though Saul kind of goes mad here, he respects Saul's authority. This is where we begin. In 1 Samuel 18, let's pick up with the sixth verse. It says this, when the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, we just saw it, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. Timbrels and lyres, that'd be tambourines and basically harps. Now watch this. Next verse. As they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his what? His tens of thousands. Now just stop here. I want you to imagine it because it's basically like a victory dance. They're chanting because Israel's just been delivered, right? And it's like if you go to a Giants game and, you know, they score a touchdown or, you know, the devil score in overtime, you know, the, the loudspeakers blare and it's like, you know, hey, Saul sucks. Or whatever. I don't, whatever. That's not what it says, but that's how Saul felt. That's how he felt. Look, it says Saul was, next word, very what? Very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? He'll take my throne. And from that time on, Saul kept a very close eye, a jealous eye on David. It says the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. And Saul had a what in his hand? He had a what? A spear in his hand. And scripture says, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. You ever hear, I'm going to pin him to the wall. It's where we get it. First first appearance in antiquity. But David what? Eluded him twice. This is what you call a hostile work environment, Okay. (laughs) Anybody have a boss with anger issues, okay? Think about this. David just saved the company. He just saved Saul's throne a second ago, and Saul turns on a dime because you have two kings, two thrones, and two very different approaches to authority and power. What does this teach us about handling toxic situations? I mean, as followers of the true king, Jesus Christ, as Christians, how are we to respond when we are attacked or abused by somebody in authority over us? See, Saul represents what I call toxic leaders. If you have ever lived or worked with somebody who kind of rules through intimidation or anger or fear, then you are familiar with the toxic spirit of Saul. Scripture says Saul was, what, very angry. Why was he angry? Because David's getting the credit, not him. See, nothing reveals a leader's character like success or lack thereof. See, Saul was successful. He killed thousands. But David, he was 10 times that man, and Saul couldn't handle it. David had just saved his throne, and Saul was jealous. 10,000 they're giving him? This is a very big warning to leaders. If you're a leader in your business or at work or in the classroom, the root of the spirit of Saul is a jealousy over numbers. You, he has more people working for him than me. He, she makes more money than me. He's advancing faster than me. And Saul felt threatened. 
See, most senior leaders do when they have a young protege, a man or a woman, rising up beneath them. Saul intuitively knew that David was destined for the throne. He just didn't know how it was going to happen. So instead of mentoring him, he tries to murder him. (laughs) Think about this. David is actually playing his harp to soothe Saul, and all of a sudden, zing! (laughs) Watch out first, or I'm going to keep you awake today, okay? Leaders who have the spirit of Saul throw spears when they feel threatened. Why? Because they can. (laughs) Their position of power and authority lets them do whatever they want without consequence. That's how men wield power in the flesh. Because they start believing somewhere along the way that although God put them on the throne, the throne is actually theirs to keep and defend. And they believe it's their job to defend it. So they lead with a spirit of, of paranoia. Someone's out to get me. Is it Joe? Is it Katie? Who is it? Is it you? Is it you? Who's going to get me? Do you know somebody like that? Maybe somebody at your work or your job? Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a spear-throwing contest <laughs> at home? How about at school? Someone throws a sharp object. They don't like them play nice, or even church. See, our world is full of toxic leaders. And I know that many of you have found yourselves in situations like the one that David did. I'll give you a quick example. I was talking with a friend, one of our campuses here at Liquid. He works in New York City in the uh, entertainment industry. And the guy he works for is very high-powered, high high-profile. You'd recognize him if you saw him on TV. And my friend came up with a great idea for a kind of a new marketing campaign. And his boss said, dude, that is brilliant. That is awesome. I'm going to share this at tomorrow's uh, meeting. And the next day, he brings the whole staff into it. And he says, yeah, this is my idea, and I'm thinking this, da-da-da-da-da, and the other thing. And my friend said, oh, yeah, well, you know, also we were thinking, talking about da-da-da. And he goes, what's wrong with you? What you? What's the matter with you, punk? You trying to steal my idea? In front of the entire staff. My friend was like, wait, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, you little Jesus freak. You sit in your office praying and all that kind of stuff. And he literally starts berating publicly and insulting my friend. And he said, I had no idea what I did. But what he realized is his boss was so threatened that it was his idea. He needed to steal it and take the credit for himself. And he lives with this spirit of paranoia in the office where he's always throwing spears to keep people off balance. I don't want you to get too comfortable. And to keep you off balance, I need to create a toxic work environment. He actually pits some of the staff members against the others because it's a company run by CEO King Saul. Sound familiar? Another example is a woman in our congregation, who was telling me her story. She's very in pain right now because she married a man who seemed very sincere and loving, met him at church. He was a Christian believer, knows the Bible, studies scripture, but she goes, at home, he's toxic. Very, very angry. He's never hit me, but these years of emotional neglect, he's very spiritually abusive. He actually uses the Bible like that. You should submit to me. The Bible says submit. He bullies and berates her, and, he's, and she's like, do I, do I get divorced? What do I do? Question for you. Is there a Saul in your life, somebody who has treated you unfairly or has betrayed or bullied you? Who is your Saul? Or, better yet, are you somebody else's Saul? Because the reality is, when somebody hurts us or attacks us, what is our first, what's your first instinct if somebody throws a spear at you? Our instinct is to duck and then pull it out and chuck. Duck and chuck, I got to get back at him, right? And you know what? 99% of the world would say you're justified doing that. Somebody attacks you, of course, you go on the offensive. You don't take that lying down. You got to stand up to a bully. You're in the right. And that's what David's friends must have been telling him. David, 
Just pull Saul's spear out of the wall and chuck it back. God said himself, you're going to be king. This is the moment. This is how you get to the throne. Saul can't handle authority, but clearly you can. There's only one problem with that. As Gene Edwards writes in his amazing book, A Tale of Three Kings, he says, In performing this small feat of returning throne spears, you will prove many things. One, you are courageous. Two, you stand for the right. Three, you boldly stand against the wrong. Four, you are tough and can't be pushed around. You will not be wronged. All of these attributes then combine to prove you are also a candidate for kingship. Yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed, a king anointed with the spirit of Saul. See, this is the secret, friends. There is a Saul inside of every one of us just waiting to get out. Saul is in your bloodstream. He is in the marrow of your bones. He breathes in our lungs. He beats in our chest. And when we're attacked, the Saul spirit gets summoned in the life of every believer. We get fearful. Will we fight back? Will we summon our own army and plot our revenge? Evil for evil, eye for eye. This is the Old Testament. If so, you are King Saul. Every Christian has this potential. What do you do when somebody chucks a spear at you? The world says, duck, and chuck it back. Congratulations, you just became King Saul. I talked with one couple whose marriage became so toxic, they had divorce papers drawn up. If you're going through a breakup, you know it gets nasty very, very quickly. And the man, uh, his wife, sent an email. He said, I don't know what to do with this, Tim, but it's gotten very nasty. And my wife says, and she actually used these words, she says, I'm going to make you pay. You are going to regret the day you did this to me. And basically, he says, it's grown nasty because we're basically trying to divide the kingdom. We've lawyered up, and we're arguing now who gets the television, who gets the furniture, who gets the kids. And she's like, he's like, what do I do, Tim? Do I defend myself? Show the kids the threatening emails? What, is, what, is, what does David do here? Does David return evil for evil? No. It actually nearly kills him. And yet this is God's chosen way to cut the Saul out of David's heart and prepare him for true kingship. See, by not taking revenge, his inner Saul was crucified. And David learned the most important lesson of all, that God's true anointed never use their authority to defend against threats to the throne because they realize it's not their throne after all. It's whose? It's, it's God's. The pathway to kingship, to true biblical leadership, runs through the path of brokenness. That's who David represents, a broken leader, somebody who is willing to submit actually to God's authority and God's timing in his life. Like God anointed David, he said, I have a divine destiny for you, David. You're going to sit on the throne, but understand something. My path to this throne is going to be a path of suffering and of pain. And that's a truth of God's economy. When he wants to handpick a transformational leader, he says, I'm going to pick a broken vessel. Because only somebody who has been broken by corrupted authority can be trusted to wield true spiritual authority. Only those who have suffered firsthand under the corruption of power, can be trusted to wield true power. That's a scary thought. Do you know the Bible says that it was God's will to crush Jesus Christ, his son? In the same way, it was God's will to crush David, and maybe it's God's will in your life. See, David's brokenness, he was the greatest king of Israel, foreshadows another king who would come from his line 1,000 years later. 30% of all references to thrones in the Bible 
are to the throne of David. In other words, it's based in the promise that God made to David that his descendants would rule forever from the throne of Israel. And that promise was fulfilled par excellence when Jesus Christ was born as the king God's people were waiting for, a thousand years after David reigned. But the problem is Jesus wasn't the type of king, was he, that people were expecting. They were expecting one of power who would bring it to the Roman army, who would conquer the empire, and yet they got a king who was pierced on a cross. See, that's the problem. Jesus didn't wear the crown we thought. He wears a crown of thorns. The only spear Jesus ever touched in his entire life was the spear that did what? Pierced his side. And God said that's what a true king is like, a king with a broken heart. And that's what David foreshadowed, that true authority in God's kingdom comes from a willingness to be broken, to be crushed, to actually suffer on behalf of others as Christ did for you. Maybe you're here today and you're suffering unjustly. (laughs) You're like, I'm just listening right now. I'm trying not to react because inside I'm exploding because I'm in a situation right now at my work or with a friend that is very toxic. And let let me encourage you. God is shaping your heart to be more like his. Listen to the words of 1 Peter 2. It says this. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're what? They are, say that together, they're conscious of God. What's that mean, conscious of God? You know what it means? It means instead of responding to the crisis in front of you, ah, Saul's the devil. You're actually aware of God's larger purposes for what you're going through. That God actually uses our relationship failures, our persecutions, our betrayals to do a deeper work in our heart and make it more like Christ's. Peter says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, let's say this together, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, when you're in conflict, it reveals who is on the throne of your life. Who has the authority in your life? Is it you or is it Jesus Christ? Is it your desire for revenge or is the Holy Spirit actually doing a bigger work in you? Could you trust that even when you're suffering, God is working all things together for good, even if you can't see it? If you're unjustly fired or you're attacked by an ex or you're persecuted, could you step over the hot desire for revenge? And instead of retaliating, returning threats, you entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. That's the secret of David and Jesus. Both of them knew only God in heaven has the true authority to judge on earth, not us. Because as humans, we have the spirit of Saul. We're blind to our own corruption and sin. And we justify ourselves that as we're defending ourselves against Saul, guess what? We become Saul. Think about Jesus. Scripture said on the cross, he had the authority to call down 10,000 angels to destroy his enemies. Did he do it? No. Instead, he allowed his enemies to pierce him, to crush him, and then give them something they couldn't possibly afford themselves grace and forgiveness. And that's why we worship Jesus Christ. Amen? See, if you're facing a toxic situation, the question becomes, are you going to live your life based on the fear of God 
or the fear of men. That's really what Saul and David represent, two ways of living your life. We'll finish up with verse 12. Look what it says. It says, Saul was, look at this word, afraid of David because the Lord was what? With David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because why? The Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was what? Afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Twice in scripture, King Saul, the first king Israel ever had, is described as afraid. And that's significant. Because it's contrasting a life that's shackled by the fear of men. In other words, you care primarily what other people think of you. You are after the praises of other people with the fear of God. I don't care what others think because I'm after the praises of my Lord in heaven. Amen? See, Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know what the fear of the Lord is? It's not like, ah, God's going to do something. The fear of God is is when you orient your mind and say, the, my number one concern is that I don't dishonor God in my reaction. That I don't bring shame or disgrace to his throne and how I react to others. Whatever happens to me, I can't fail to reflect Christ in this situation. That was David's attitude. It was the priority of his heart. And let me tell you something. If there is a Saul in your life, this is a choice you will have to make. Do you fear God or do you fear man at work? or at home, or at school. See, if you truly trust God, you have a healthy fear for the Lord. It means you can rest in the assurance that man can do nothing to you. You can lose your job. You can lose your friends. You can't lose your faith. You can lose your reputation. You will not lose your salvation, amen? Because Christ has saved you. He's been crushed for you. God said, I have plans for you. I'm anointing you with my spirit. I'm gonna work everything together for good because you love me, amen? See, you can live a life like Saul, the fear of man. And you do whatever it takes to get ahead or hog the spotlight or defend yourself against anyone who's a threat. It's up to you. Or you live with the fear of God like David did. Look at verse 12. It says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was what? With David. What was David's secret? How could he live and work under a mad king? It says, in everything, he had great success because The Lord was with him, and David knew that. He was conscious of God. He had a fear of the Lord, and when King Saul went crazy, he didn't. He realized, I'm not going to get even. He learned a lost art, and that is the art of dodging spears and pretending like it didn't happen. (laughs) See, this wasn't the only time his boss tried to take his head off. If you flip over to 1 Samuel 19, it just says this, last one. It says, an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, while David was playing the harp. And Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night, David made good his escape. David was attacked on multiple occasions, and eventually he left. And that's instructive for Christians. What do you do when you have a King Saul in your life? Is this like, okay, so just suck it up, you know, and like take abuse? I mean, there's... there's, Is that what we're saying here? No. What happens when someone throws a spear at you at work? Or even church. Can we make this real? Churches are not exempt from abuse of spiritual authority. In fact, I think some are breeding grounds for it. Let me share with you an email that I received that was titled Heartbroken. 
It says, Pastor Tim, you don't know us. My family and I have been coming to Liquid for six months, but we sit in the back and we never say hello. That's intentional. See, once we were part of a good church. No, a great church where I served faithfully for 12 years. My wife and I taught Bible study. Our kids grew up in the youth group. I was even recruited to sit on the deacon board. But somewhere over the last couple of years, our church lost its way. I'll spare you the details, but to suffice to say, we changed pastors. It got political and it wasn't pretty. Sides were drawn up. People began gossiping, arguing for their side of the issue. And it got so crazy at one meeting, I thought our head deacon was going to punch someone in the congregation. You ever been to that meeting? My wife and I said nothing. And eventually we became the brunt of attacks. I write this with tears in my eyes. We are heartbroken. This is a church we grew up loving. My children came to faith here. They were baptized here. And now they've watched their parents be kicked to the side of the road. Needless to say, this has rocked our faith. After we left, we didn't go to church for months, but a friend said Liquid was a safe place of healing and grace. And so now we sit in the back. I hope you understand. We're still hurting, and we never make sense of what happened in our old church, but we still have hope that God's grace can heal our heart one day. That's brokenness. There are some of you here today who have suffered spiritual abuse in the name of Jesus, and I want to tell you how sorry I am. My heart aches for you. If you are hurting, we want this to be a place of healing. Because unfortunately, churches can be breeding grounds for toxic leaders. But you know why I think that is? Because I think Satan knows if he can wound somebody through their church, it could be fatal to their faith. Here, listen to me. Just because a church leader has a, a title or a degree, it never gives him or her the right to be abusive, manipulative, or coercive. That's the spirit of fall, and it's demonic. I hear from refugee Christians all the time who are told, hey, if you leave our church, you will leave God's covering. I can't be responsible what will happen. You've been blessed so far, but if you step out underneath it, you may get struck. That's a threat, okay? That is appealing to the fear of man. It's the spirit of Saul. True Christ-like leadership is supposed to be open-handed. It actually allows for different voices, different perspectives, and doesn't feel a need to defend the kingdom. Because why? You can't leave. You can't say anything that would disagree. Because why? Because this is my throne. Or is it God's? See, success or failure reveals what's in your heart. And God is grieved when his church gets splintered into factions and schisms and church split. Because you know what happens? The world looks at it and says, dude, these people are no different than the rest of the world. That's why we take an open-handed approach to leadership at Liquid. Because any spiritual authority we have comes from the word of God. And when any man betrays that, then you forfeit whatever influence you have. So if you've been bruised or wounded by other believers, I, I just want to let you know, you, that's fine. I'm so glad you're here. You may just need a season to sit and kind of soak in the Holy Spirit and let God work on healing your broken heart. If you're in a toxic situation today, remember, never return thrown spears because you become Saul. And if you get a spear thrown, you never let it hit your heart because you'll turn a deep shade of bitter. If it really touches your heart, conflict will either make you bitter or better. <laughs> And sometimes you have to step out of the situation. You can't stay anymore. How will you know when it's time to leave a toxic environment? You will know. God will make it very clear to you, as he did with David. Look what happens. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow, you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he fled, and what? He escaped. When your mentor tries to murder you, it's probably time to go. (laughs) Yeah. 
Okay, that's pro. And when you leave, understand this. When you leave, how you leave is how you're remembered. How you leave is how you're remembered. It makes all the difference. Notice David actually just leaves alone. He leaves without striking back. He didn't say, wait a minute. That throne should be mine. I was anointed. God promised it to me. He didn't rally others around him. Follow me. Don't follow Saul. Rather, he just walked all out the door all alone. He said, you know what? Saul, it's your throne until God chooses otherwise. Do you know how long David was in exile? Ten years. For a decade, Saul hunted him like a dog until God said, now it's time. Because David, you have been patient and you have proved that you fear God more than you fear men. And now, David, the throne is yours. Here's the principle. Sometimes before God exalts us, he has to exile us. We have to exit. We have to leave. So let me end by making this very practical. Is there a Saul in your life and God's telling you to leave? If there's a Saul, if you serve a Saul at work and God calls you to leave your role at work, let me tell you something. If you badmouth your boss on the way out, people will not see Christ. But if you keep your mouth closed as David did and let persecution drive you deeper to dependency on Jesus, that spear will never touch your heart even if it pierces your soul. Or if you're going through a divorce, and I know some of you are, and things get messy and nasty and toxic very quick, understand one thing. Your children are watching. And how you leave is how you're remembered. Do you lawyer up? Do you argue how to divide the kingdom? I get the TV. I get the furniture. You get the... Because if you slander your spouse in front of your kids, you will poison their heart. You may keep the house, but your kids will grow up in the house of Saul. You think God's going to bless that? Or if God calls you to leave a church, how you leave reveals your heart. You take people with you or do you rally a rebellion? Guess what? You just became King Saul. David didn't split the kingdom. He didn't take people with him. He left all alone. And King Saul would never do that because he's too insecure and too much after people affirming him. But the Lord's true anointed, he could actually walk out of it all alone and it's the only way to leave a kingdom. With God on the throne, trusting him, not yourself, not the other, but God's timing alone. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the same spirit lives in you. You've been anointed. God says, I can give you the strength to get through what you're going through. Amen? You may be here today with a heavy heart, but has God forgotten you? His plans are still to prosper you, even in this situation. If there is a Saul in your life and you've experienced unjust suffering at the hands of someone you trusted, listen to me. What the enemy intends for evil, God is working right now for your good and his glory. So if you need hope today, we want to encourage you. And our campuses today, our prayer teams are going to be here at the close of today's service to pray with you about specific situations in your life. If you're facing a situation at work or at home or school, even within your family, you need God's anointing, his strength. Let us stand with you. Let us pray with you. And we're going to pray that God's going to give you a fresh anointing of his Holy Spirit and to give you the heart of David so you can withstand the spirit of Saul. If you feel brokenhearted, do not despair. Brokenness is actually beautiful in God's eyes. There is beauty in your tears. It means that God is preparing to do a deeper work inside of you. He's opening up a new chapter of authority even in your life. So after I pray, we're going to sing a final song called Sovereign. It's about God being in control even when things here in our domain seem out of control.
And then your campus pastor will invite you to come forward for prayer. Let's pray together. Bow your heads, would you? Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, the true king, who teaches us, Lord, everything we need to know about how to handle power and authority. We thank you that you are king and lord of lords over the universe, Father God, and yet you do not wield authority to crush us, Father, but to conform us to Christ. Lord, right now, would you even, as we worship you, would you just allow our hearts to shift, surrendering to your purposes? Would you allow people, Lord, who right now feel they're in a very dark situation to see the light of Jesus Christ? Would you anoint them, Father, as we pray for one another, Father God? Give us the Holy Spirit. Give us what we don't have. And Father God, above all else and all we do, may we honor you. We bring honor and blessing to your name. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.